looked and behold, the heavens were open. A ninth season. <laughs> we believe in the Trinity. We believe in the five solas. We believe in the doctrines of grace. A lot of the time, people are asking the wrong questions. They're not asking the questions like, do I understand God's grace? Do I understand the cross? as a CEO or you work at McDonald's or whatever you do or whether you're quote unquote in ministry you have a ministry as we mature we walk we we enjoy our relationship with God as much as we see his majesty in the blessings that we have just by what Yeshua has done for us not by what we have done to impress God and then get something from him so faith so so salvation by faith absolutely salvation by faith keep zeroing in on these you know the big ideas like what is biblical love you know what is what is grace do i have an accurate understanding of god's grace our love for yeshua but his love like through us is why we're doing what we're doing and that's why it's called messiah matters Wednesday, October 19th. This is Messiah Matters number 405. I've been getting some heat on the social media. My name is Caleb Haig. Uh, and I'm Rob Van Hoff, and I don't have anything to say. <laughs> Shocker. Shocker. Hey, now, okay, check this out. I went ahead and I purchased some of our mugs. Look at this. Look at this bad boy right here. Isn't this amazing? This is the one that anyone, anyone can uh, can order. You don't That's have pretty. to be a producer. Look at this. The 36. Huge 36 on the back. This is a nice mug. I gotta say. I'm impressed by my own mug. <laughs> ah, tastes better it, out of a... <laughs> yes, exactly. Messiah, tastes better. A Messiah Matters mug. You can get your mug today by going to TorahResource.com. Our site's back up, by the way. Praise the Lord. It was down for what? Almost five days, something like that. And, th and here's the worst part. I don't even think Rob knows this. The hardest part about that whole thing was is that our email service is connected to our site. So if the site goes down, it won't allow us to send out emails because it says that our website's down. So we couldn't even send out an email telling people like, hey, we know our site's down. Like, we're working on it. Yeah. Anyway, it was a frustrating, frustrating time. 
Let's put our producers up here. Got some producers for the fall quarter. If you want to be a producer, you can be a producer by going to tourresource.com. Same place that you get the mug. Uh, go to store and then down to other. It's uh, it's there. And a uh, big thank you to all of our supporters as well. And while we, uh, well, let me just jump in here. Oops, sorry. What am I doing here? Looks like we're, they're coming in slowly. We're getting people into the uh, into the chat into the chat room slowly but surely. So welcome to everybody in the chat room. Rob, how you been, man? I'm doing very well. Uh, it's finally getting cold. Uh, towards it's the, like, finally it getting cold. Sec- second to the last day of Sukkot, no. we had just wind whipping through, and it pretty much demolished our sukkah. Oh. So I took yeah. that as a, a lesson from the Lord of the temporality. You know. Yeah, I got to take down my like like in Isaiah. Sukkah. You know, it says the 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 grass of the field withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. 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 Yes. There's a throwback to some '90s, some '90s uh, film for everyone there. Okay, uh, now that our producers have scrolled on our screen, two five three four six five thirty two zero five. It's two five three four six five thirty two zero five is our hotline. You can call that. They won't talk to us. You'll talk to an answer machine. Tell us all, all about what you hate, love, agree, disagree, what you want us to talk about, whatever. It doesn't matter. You can also shoot us an email. C Hag at torresource.com. C H E G G at torresource.com. Don't forget to go to Torah Resource for all of your. Oops, that's the wrong one. That's messiahmatters.com. You can go there too and uh, listen to past episodes. Torresource.com. It's where you can get all sorts of free resources. And our site is back up. Thank the Lord. That is wonderful. Please do us a favor. Subscribe to this. YouTube channel, it helps us. I know that sounds weird. And if you're not on YouTube, if you're listening to this on a podcast forum, please subscribe to this podcast. All right. I think we should just jump in. We got so much to talk about. Uh, Joshua in the chat room says, uh, special thanks to Rob for his daily videos during Sukkot. Great stuff. If you want to check that stuff out, you can go to Rob on the Rock. Man, we got all sorts of different avenues, don't we? All sorts of stuff going on. I, I, uh, uh, pronomian was already taken. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, Rob uh, wrote me an article for my uh, website, pronomian.com, and you can go check that out. I might have him write another one here sh- uh, soon, if possible. Uh, actually, someone stuff. sent me an email who it must be is uh, logged into that because they told me they really liked that article. So that was so cool. There you go. Yeah, it was a good article. All right. Uh, Chris, I think is the name, says this. Caleb, you said something, and this is going to be, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let Rob wax on this boldly, as they say. <laughs> Caleb, you said something I thought was interesting, still pretty new to all of this, although I'm trying to learn. Is there a difference between Midrash and a study Bible? Nice question. It's a great question. That's it's, it is because it it like it why I like that question is mm. because it ultimately is leading in the direction of what is actual word of God and what is the interpretation and what is the tradition of man and how are we to organize all these things um, it, within the rabbinic worldview midrash is uh, a tradition a rabbinic tradition that is attached to a Bible verse. So it doesn't have to be. um, They're not telling you what the verse says. 
they are compilations like some of the mid what they call the midrashim are based on they follow the text of scripture but some are just uh collections that uh are full of just like one line from scripture with various opinions as to like ways of interpreting it so that would make it different than a, a study Bible, whereas a study Bible in art. And here's the other thing we're thinking in terms of book culture, you know, you've got like a book, right? You've got pages on a spine, like a codex, right? right. And a study Bible typically is the Bible with stuff in the margins yeah, and t- maybe telling, and telling maybe, you what they, telling you what they think it means. Yeah. So the translation would be like the grand, this is what we think it means. And then in the footnotes, you'll see maybe little segments, right? And Abraham, you know, prayed to the Lord or something. And then it'll say, yeah, this shows that Abraham was quick to forgive Abimelech or something, and he prayed for him so he would be healed. So you get that kind of commentary. And then this touches on something we talked about last week where someone asked about, I think it was a Miguel asked about, what about study Bibles that have like now, Oh yeah, here here was the Babylonian uh, religious text, right. and here's what they, here's how they conceptualize their deities, and then all of a sudden you have like images of of ancient Near Eastern deities and stuff like that, and you're like, does that even belong in the Bible? But from an archaeological perspective, you say, yeah, it's helpful. So midrash is not that way. If one other thing, and Caleb, and I'll punt it back to you, sure. is a study Bible tends to present, or they're sold to us on the marketplace. The study Bible is sold to us as a product of scholars who are interested in history and providing right. context. Right. A midrash in the rabbinic world is not interested in history. It's not interested in context. It's interested in uh, preserving and promoting rabbinic agenda. And so that's why you might see in a midrash, oh yeah, you know, King David was studying the Talmud one day and da, da, da. like, it's, it's not interested on what, you know, what, what really happens? Yeah, it's it's not so interested in that. It's so it's interesting interested you say in... that because because I, I think of a midrash as an expansion or a creation of a story from a text. And what I mean by that is, so for, I'll give you a scriptural, I'll give you a, a scriptural, a text. scriptural text. I'll give yeah, you, I'll yeah. give you, I'll give everybody an example of that. Um, this is an easy one because you, you could look at the text and say, oh well, yeah, I can see how that conversation would happen. God says, Abraham. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, right? And go to the mountain to, to sacrifice him. I'm paraphrasing the last part. And what the rabbi says, well, what really happened is God said to Abraham, Abraham, take your son. And Abraham said, which one? I have two sons. And he said, uh, the only son of uh, his mother. Well, both of my sons are the only son of their mother. The son you love. Oh, well, both, I love both of my sons. Okay, fine. Take Isaac. That's the, so they've taken a story and now they've created this larger story on top of it. So this is a midrash that now that they're saying this is what happened or when the Torah was given to to Israel, it says that Israel was there, that God offered the Torah to 70 nations and Israel was the last nation. And Israel finally said, okay, we'll take it. This is nowhere in the text, obviously. Not in the text. So, yeah. so what the rabbis are so, doing so, is that- so. On that note, that that's really helpful, Caleb. We should differentiate because you could read texts like, you know, stuff from Qumran, the Book of Jubilees, and stuff, and you sure. could say, oh, there is 
midrash here from that general concept. Um, and so we should differentiate that from the actual rabbinic use of the term midrash because they don't care about Enoch or Jubilees or any of those texts, right? right? Um, but they, they use the word midrash uh, to differentiate from Mishnah, uh, where, which is legal tradition that is not necessarily tied to scripture, right? Just, oh, you, you know, you don't mix milk and cheese. And then they'll later you'll say, oh, well, there is biblical support. And it's almost like Rabbi Kiva. Well, there is support. You know, don't cook a, a kid in its mother's milk. And but others will say, no, it's it's a rabbinic law that doesn't have any scriptural support, but it's still obligatory because why? Because if you believe the rabbis, they have an authoritative tradition that was revealed to Moses that was never written down at all. Right. And so there's no need it, from the hard hitters in there say there's no need to try to tie oral Torah to written Torah because it's a separate revelation. So, so actually what you're saying right now is, is interesting to me in terms of the progression of, of rabbinic literature. So we see, obviously there are some midrash, there's midrash on, on uh, certain passages of scripture that, that's very early, right? It's some of the early, it is the earliest uh, rabbinical literature that we actually uh, have preserved today. However, when you get to things like the Mishnah, to me, the Mishnah is not, is more commentary on the Torah in other words, this is how we do these commandments. So it's commentary on the Torah as opposed to Midrash. I'm not saying there isn't some Midrash in the Mishnah. All I'm saying is that it's more commentary. When we get to the Talmud, now all of a sudden they're saying, well, why do we, how, why is it that we keep these laws these ways? And this is how we, now all of a sudden we're starting to see this Midrash expand in the Talmud. That's how I see it. Are, do you think I'm wrong in that? Well, uh, generally that's true, but the, a lot of the Mishnah is just law that is not tight. There's not a lot. If you just go through the Mishnah, and you look at, let's say, how many pass, how many sentences there are, or, you know, there's, I don't know what it is. There's a lot. And then just say how much of it is actual scripture. It's not very much. Uh, right. The Mishnah does not present itself as being dependent on the sure. scripture. It's interacting with it, but it's like its own, its own legal obligatory code that is seen as authoritative. Uh, we, and, we, Sorry, I thought, yeah, I thought you were coming to it's not as it's it's thought to be a a a uh, codification of a revelation to Moses that is independent of the written Torah. So uh, our chat room is going to now drive us into uh, a good direction with this with this conversation. So Joshua says in the chat room, I remember about seven years ago, and this is going to tie in, by the way, to John the John 17 Project's comment as well. Uh, Joshua says, I remember about seven years ago when our church first started down the Torah Observant Road, my leader made a comment that the New Testament is pretty much midrash. And he says, I don't think he would say that now. Um, the John 17 Project now uh, responds or just makes a comment uh, on the back of that that says, is understanding how a midrash functions helpful in studying the writings of Paul? I ask because I have heard some of Paul's words referred to as a nice midrash. Yeah, this is difficult because I think that there is a bit of, I think Paul sometimes takes a concept and exp like a biblical concept and expands it to kind of mean something else. However, when we see this happening in Paul, we could ask, is Paul trying to do a midrash? But ultimately, 
We also have to take into consideration that the rabbinical works are not inspired. So they're making up connections or they're making up stories. Whereas Paul, is his writings in the apostolic scriptures are inspired by the Holy Spirit. So the connections are inspired connections. So I would have to say that I see this as different. Although Paul might be trying to show us something from a text, I think it is a little bit different than just making up a story uh, to connect something. What do you think? Yeah, well, and in, in rabbinic midrashim, we have to remember it. The there's a kind of competition that emerges to where from the time of of the earliest midrash up through, let's say, even the the Zohar, is how many things can a verse mean? So right. the competition is not what does this verse mean, it's what else can it mean? And so in the uh, uh, rabbinic term, it's davar uh, acher, another, another meaning, another interpretation, another interpretation, another interpretation. And then sometimes those interpretations are transmitted anonymously without a, uh, an authority name. And sometimes it'll say, you know, Rabbi Yochanan, Omer, da, da, da. Rabbi Jonathan says, Yochanan says this, but then Rabbi Eliezer says something different. So the, the body of, or the cumulative body of rabbinic midrash that, you know, over a thousand year period is not aimed as a whole to determine what the scripture means. It means what else, it, it means what else can it mean? And it reminds me of a funny Jerry Seinfeld joke where he's like, you know, guys don't turn on the TV to see what's on. They want to see what else is on. Right. Right. <laughs> right. And the difference. And it's like that. It's like the rabbinic midrashim want to see what else is, it can mean. And right. in my personal view, this is a this is a move to avoid a different worldview, which is built on Yeshua is who he says he is, he is the Messiah, that it's non-negotiable. So Paul cannot midrash, for example, on, uh, if we're going to say Paul would even do such a thing, he's not going to take like Psalm 110 or Psalm 2 or Isaiah 53 and say, oh, you know, forget forget about that whole thing I was telling you about Yeshua. I have a whole nother way of explaining yeah, exactly. Isaiah 53. It's just Israel. Or it's just some other... Yeah, you don't see uh, Peter coming in and say, well, Paul Midrash is this way, but I'm going to Midrash yeah, a totally yeah. different so, way. Yeah. So what you see, if you in general broad, broad, uh, broad brushstrokes, if you, if you contrast that emerging rabbinic world or, or kind of practice of what else does it mean from the early believers, they're very divided on that issue because there are non-negotiable interpretations of Tanakh that are essential claims that are the foundation of following Yeshua. Whereas in the rabbinic world, it's kind of this, well, what else can it mean? Well, what else can it mean? And in doing that, it waters down, it, it, it's attempting to water down, in my view, the claim that, uh, of the gospel. So we have, once again, we have some very interesting comments here. Uh, Elijah in the chat room says, uh, 
Well, actually, maybe we should come back to this one. This is probably going to change our... We'll come back to that because uh, this is probably going to change our tra- traje- trajectory here. Uh, the John 17 Project says, so have Midrash always been making up a story or were they used as a teaching tool before the rise of modern rabbinic Judaism? I think that, that the answer to that is yes. Uh, I mean, both. In other words, Midrash is always used as a teaching tool. But I think Midrash is also, and I don't think that all the time that a story is is attached to a passage of scripture, that the that the the people who created the story, I don't think that they're always expecting you to believe the story. However, throughout history, Judaism has basically said, well, this all goes back to Moses. So they've turned these these kind of fables and these stories back to uh, in some cases, not all, but in some cases, they've turned them into this is the truth. This is the truth of like, this actually happened. Joshua says, is rabbinic midrashim the only kind of midrash? That I don't know. Well, midrash is, a back to the definition, midrash itself is a an etic term. Or, or it, it is a, or rather emic, rather. It is, it is a term used by insiders. In other words, if you grew up in, in a, a rabbinic community that was focused on scripture study, Midrash is one of the domains of inquiry and, and reflection on the scriptures and the, the tradition of the sages and what they say about it. Yeah. So, so it's, but, 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 but Christianity didn't grow up with a, with the term Midrash. So, uh, it is an emic term. It's a term that is a native term for then. It's not a term used outside. But what you see when we start saying, oh, well, there's Midrash-like texts in the Qumran library, or there are Midrashic-like moves in Paul's writings, that is taking, it's kind of like taking a term from the rabbinic world, kind of using it as a general category now, and then using it somewhere else. But of course, you know, the rabbis themselves would protest to that. They're saying, no, you're, you're taking one of our terms and using it. So we got to be careful that way. I actually think that, uh, you know, I've read stuff like, uh, Herschel's, uh, heavenly Torah and whatnot. So, I mean, I've, I've looked at a lot of Heschel. Mid- yeah. Heschel I'm sorry. I said Herschel Heschel, um, Abraham Heschel. And I, I've looked at a lot of, uh, of Midrash in that light. And I have to say that I have not found uh, Midrash to be helpful for me in my studies of the Torah. What I find helpful is, is the commentary, both of, you know, and I, I have found some commentary from uh, non-believing Jews on the Torah to be helpful as well. However, the, the, the real place where I find most of uh, the meat of what a text means is when it is commentated on by believers, such as, you know, it, it, for instance, one of the commentaries I always go to when looking at the, at the Tanakh is uh, Kyle and Dalich. And Kyle and Dalich have have uh, some great commentary, and uh, that to me is much more helpful than any kind of a midrash. Uh, okay, so Elijah says this. He said, "Can ahead. I just before I forget? I should clarify too. So the word darash is used throughout the Tanakh, lidrosh, and early on it's to inquire of the Lord. So the idea of darash." in some instances in Tanakh is, is the prophet who is inquiring of the Lord, right? But it could also be if the judges are inquiring of a case in a case to, before they render 
their their mishpat, their judgment. So th- that term is used, but also in terms of Arab, like a, a madrasa. As you, have you ever heard of a madrasa in Islamic culture? It's a it's like a Beit midrash, a house of learning. So madrasa is the Arabic equivalent. Dara, uh, the shin becomes softened to an s. Um, and that it's like a house of learning, house of study. So I just want, and I think there's a Syriac equivalent to, um, uh, in, in Aramaic or Syriac speaking Christianity. So the term does kind of have a general sense, I guess, to be fair in both, uh, Syriac Christianity and in Islam as a general term for learning and the implication with the learning, the presupposition is that it's a scriptural based curriculum to some degree, but, but, but it's going to be different than it's not necessarily what we think of with rabbinic midrash in as a, a product of a text where you have like a little snippet of scripture with maybe three or four different uh, interpretations. Anyway, okay. Thanks for let's let's move to Elijah. He says this. He says the New Testament is not scripture. The New Testament is epistles and letters. The New Testament addresses problems in the church. That's what Jesus Christ and Paul was doing. Everything was Torah. I I I mean I understand. Okay, so uh, I understand the concept here, and and actually this is uh, this has been presented to me by many people within the Torah movement that the apostolic scriptures don't say anything new. That there's nothing new because it's all Torah. And while I understand the want for that, and people attach this to the end of Deuteronomy that you're not allowed to add or take away from this, this uh, law, which I think that that's a totally different matter. Um, but I think that there are things in the apostolic scriptures that are, uh, that are not seen within the Torah. And I think that that's okay. And the reason why is because I think that the words of Christ and I think that the inspiration of the Holy Spirit are just as important. The Holy Spirit gives the Torah to Moses. Well, I mean, the Holy Spirit, Yeshua, the Father. God gives the Torah to Moses on Mount Sinai. God gives the inspired word to the uh, to to the writers of the Apostolic Scriptures. And I would say, you know, I've said this before, whereas Judaism globs onto this idea that the rabbinic literature was given by God at Mount Sinai, at the exact same time that that's happening, you have the church saying, no, the the New Testament writings were given by God through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So basically you have the rabbinical writings going this way, and you have the Christian church taking the exact same stance except for with a different kind of writing. And so I would say that uh, that the rabbinical text seen as uh, as inspired by the Holy Spirit or having divine authority is actually... Uh, just a, a miss, a missing the mark on which books that actually took place with, which was the apostolic scriptures. So I would, I would disagree with that. Obviously, do you want to say anything on that? No, this is just fine. <clears throat> okay, let's move on. It's a great discussion, and there's obviously a lot more that we could zero in on. But I, I think we've kind of given some helpful lines of thinking about it. Yeah, hopefully it's uh, opened some thought patterns. Okay, so. <clears throat> Um, it, this is interesting. I'm not exactly sure where we should go here because I think that, uh, we have, there's so much we could talk about here that we need to uh, decide what's going to be this week and what's going to be next week. Okay. Um, let's go to truth seeker and actually, the, so truth seeker female is the, <laughs> is the, is the YouTube handle name 
She says this question, why did Yeshua say on the cross, Father, why have you forsaken me? Or something in those words. I was told those words came from the human part of the body, which can be something other, which I rather not elaborate. And yes, I just came across this video by searching for something different first time here, FYI. Okay, so the question I think at the core is, why does Christ say, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me on the cross? Um, I can give you my very quick and easy answer, and that is he's quoting uh, Psalm 22. It is the opening verse of Psalm 22. Of course, in the first century, there was no such thing as chapters and verses in a person's Bible. Uh, they didn't have Bibles. Uh, they weren't walking around with the KJV or anything like that. So if you wanted to know, uh, if you wanted to reference a Psalm, you didn't say, you know, Psalm 22 chapter, you know, or Psalms, you know, chapter 22, verse one. That's not how you did it That because there was no such numbering system. Yeah. And so how would you say, uh, go look at Psalm 22? Well, you would quote the beginning of that, of that chapter. Now, I know that uh, great teachers such as R.C. Sproul say, no, uh, there's more to it than that. I actually don't think there is. I think that what Christ is saying is, I am fulfilling a piece of scripture right now. And what piece of scripture is it? It's Psalm 22. In other words, he's saying, go look at Psalm 22 and what I'm doing right now. That's what he's saying when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, I don't think that there's more to it, even though there are really good scholars who would disagree with that and say, you know, there is more to it. Um, I just think that he is making a reference to a chapter in the Bible. Rob? Yeah, and I think also that we have to understand that the whole psalm is implied. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah, and so to go to to read the psalm, you know, and go back and go, why is, you know, why why is Yeshua reciting this psalm? What's the message of the psalm, and and how does that relate with what's happening to him at that time? Elijah says, uh, okay, Joshua, show me something Jesus Christ and Paul taught that's not in Torah. Okay. Paul said that a woman has to pray with her head covered. Um, Yeshua said, if you, uh, if you lust after a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery with her. Uh, it's said that uh, if you hate your brother, you are guilty of murder. So, I mean, the, the list could go on. There's qu quite a bit, actually, that's not in the... Uh, Paul specifically says that uh, a woman is not allowed to be a pastor. There's no talk of deacons in, or, or a pastorate within the Torah. All we have is judges and elders. So it seems like the, the system of the church is actually established within, within the, the apostolic scriptures. Um, yeah, I mean... I'm sure I could come up with more. There's there's plenty of times where, and for those who are going to say, well, that means that it would be adding to the law. No, uh, it's not an adding to the law. Um, I I see that as uh, the land grant treaty. But there's, I mean, we could we could talk about that, um, but that's not how I see it. Anyway, uh, yeah, okay, let's move on. So, Julesy said this. <laughs> and I, I actually, so we've talked about this a lot. This is on one of the videos that we clipped from, I think last week or the week before. Uh, and so this is a response to it. 
and maybe we've maybe maybe we're beat, beating the dead red heifer with a stick here. But uh, she says, uh, once you are called, you are no longer a Jew or a Gentile. You are one new man. You are of the royal lineage of God. We got to be really careful how we talk about this, and the reason why is because the Bible talks about this in several different ways. So, for instance, all believers. Anyone who becomes a covenant member is referred to, in my, in my belief, in certain areas is referred to as Israel. There's no distinction between Jew and Gentile within that, uh, within that, that, that class. But also within the Bible uh, and in some of the eschatological texts, uh, we see the Gentiles, the nations, the Goyim, coming up to worship God. And it seems that they are then covenant members. Why would I say that they're covenant members? Because they come to the temple for Sukkot. And you can't go to the temple unless you're circumcised, right? So there's, there's a sense in which at this by this point, the uh, nations have become part of Israel or be, have become covenant members, yet the Bible still refers to them as goyim, as, as the nations, and does not see a problem with that. So I see, I actually see this going uh, the other way a lot within the Torah movement. Within the Torah movement, we see people say, well, once you become a believer, you're Israel. You're not a Gentile anymore. But that's not how the scriptures talk about it. The scriptures seem to retain some notion of, of ethnicity within the nations, which is totally fine. In fact, I, I see this as Paul's entire point in Galatians. In your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. He calls that the gospel. So all the nations will be blessed. And we see this in, in Galatians 3.8, which I quote almost every show. Um, so the, the point here is simply that I understand uh, when some people say we become part of Israel, we do become part of Israel in the sense that we become covenant members. The Gentiles become covenant members. And we Gentiles then are might be seen as Israel. Within Ezekiel, the Gentiles actually receive land rights and are assimilated into the nation of Israel. When Israel comes out of Egypt, the, the strangers or the, the mixed multitude just becomes Israel. We don't see those Gentiles again, so they become part of Israel. However, there is clearly a distinction between ethnic descendants of, of Jacob and those who are not ethnic descendants of Jacob, as all receiving covenant blessing once the Torah goes forth from Jerusalem. Think I got that right? Sounds good. You want you want to expand on that? No. No. <laughs> no. And wow, Elijah's really hitting home here. Okay, he says uh, he's he's trying to hit, hit this one home. There is no such thing as Christianity, not according to the scriptures. The followers of Christ are called Christianos in Well, that's Acts true. I mean, it, it's true. Peter's. There is no noun. Right. There's no noun. Christianity, right? Yeah. But there are followers of the way and there are Christians. As a right? matter of fact, I think if it's the, is it in Ignatius or one of those early uh, epistle sets from the Apostolic Fathers, I think there's uh, Christianismos. In other words, it's, it's, uh, it's not even Christianity, it's Christianism set up against Judaism. Well, that's, that's in the second century. But, but Elijah, uh, he goes on right, here. But yeah, that's right. There's not in the he, scripture. He, he goes on here. He says, you are either a Israelite in covenant with God or a Gentile in co not in covenant with God. 
And once again, I think that this, uh, I, I don't think that this is, I understand the point here. And once again, I, I want to give some grace here because I talk about, um, I talk about covenant members being part of Israel or becoming part of Israel. And so in that respect, uh, when we talk of Israel as the covenant people of God, I would agree that uh, there are no such thing as non-Israelites who are covenant members. However, there there's a quick however there. However, clearly... Uh, within the pr- prophetic writings, the, the Torah goes out to the nations and all the nations become covenant members and they remain the nations, even though they're covenant members, right? All the nations come up to worship God in, in Ze- Zechariah 14. And when e- Egypt says that they might not, God says, well, fine, I will send a, a plague on you. So how is Egypt still Egypt if they've become Israel? The, the um, and and yeah, Isaiah, Isaiah, what, 56 or 58, where it says that the Gentiles 56. eat. Yeah, 56. I mean, so the Gentiles <laughs> clearly uh, that, that come into covenant members uh, membership, uh, I, I agree that there's, there, there's both and, right? They're both uh, part of Israel in terms of covenant membership, but they, are still, they still retain their status as Gentiles because all the nations of the earth will be blessed. All the nations of the earth will find salvation in Christ. So, okay. Should we move on? Should we move to our video? Let's move to the video. Yeah, Let's yeah, yeah. Our, let's move to the video. Okay. Uh, Rob and I are going to do something different than we usually do. This is from an atheist channel called Pine Creek. Uh, Pine Creek has a huge following, a huge following. And uh, this is my first introduction to him. Uh, one of our listeners uh, sent this video in. We're going to show this video and uh, we're not going to watch the whole thing. It's five minutes long, so we're not going to watch the whole thing, but we're just going to comment as we can. So you're seeing a black screen right now. That's on purpose. Hang on. Here we go. Ready? How do I become a Christian? You believe you're part of your sins. You, um, you believe in Christ? I don't believe though. Okay. Hang on. Let's, let's stop already. I'm going to bring this back to us real quick. Uh, so Pine Creek apparently is a well-seasoned uh, debater of Christians. Uh, if you go to his website, he says uh, he is willing to talk to anyone who has at least 12 hours, and I believe he means quarter hours within a seminary, of apologetics. And what that tells me is that he has made a career of talking to Christian apologists. In other words, I would consider him to be a, a, a heavy hitter. He's a heavy hitter for atheists. When we talk uh, about heavy hitters like that, I personally would never step into a ring with a heavy hitter like that. And the reason why is because they've made their career uh, trying to corner and trying to uh, embarrass people of faith. Okay. Yeah, and, and could you play that initial clip for a second? He, I, you can tell he interrupts the guy like he's, you know what he's I mean? Ready. Go, it, Dude, it, it, this reminds me of like, this reminds me of like, there's a couple of videos that I've seen no, recently. Caleb, no. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. Like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's exactly. There's a, there's a couple of videos I've seen no, recently Caleb, no. of guys, of guys who, who are like in street fights, but they know karate. And the other guy doesn't. And it's like, they're waiting. They're waiting for you, for that guy to make a move. Dude makes a move. It's over. Right. And I kind of see this like that. Let's we'll listen again. Here we go. Here's the beginning of it. 
how do I become a Christian? You believe you repent of your sins. You um, you believe in. Christ. I don't believe though. So how do how would I ever become a Christian? God, you have to be regenerated. How so do I, how do I get regenerated? Okay, he so I don't know who the brother is, Derek. Uh, I can't read it. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, I can't read it because it's, it's blurry on my screen. Okay. So anyway, the, the, the brother in the Lord on the right hand side says, um, he said he starts cr absolutely correctly. Right. And uh, this video was sent to us because the, the guy on the right is a, is a Christian, but he's a Calvinist and Pine Creek, the, the atheist, he's, he's ready for this. He's keying up just to slaughter this dude on, on the idea of Calvinism. And so I, this was sent to us kind of as a, look, even the atheists uh, think that, that Calvinism is, is idiotic and he, and he really corners this guy. But I would argue that he corners uh, our Calvinist brother here, um, not because, well, he, yeah, I, I would argue that uh, there are some missteps here. So in the beginning, our brother in the Lord says, well, you repent and you believe. And this is straight out of scripture, right? Within Acts, what do they say? Repent and believe or believe and repent. This is the, this is the formula that is given within the scripture. So he is on solid ground here. And, and that's about as far as we can get without problems entering. Let's go back to it. I'm going to rewind a couple of seconds. I'm a Christian. Oh, wait, hang on. So this is, so, okay. Do you, um, you believe in Christ? I don't believe though. So how do, how would I ever become a Christian? Okay. So stop. I don't believe though. How would I ever become a Christian? This is where, and this is where it needed it. There needed to be a different line of, of reasoning in my, in my thought pattern. And the reason why is because Romans one says you don't believe because of the hardness of your heart. That's on you. You yeah, don't have, I, I, there's no, I don't get, you know, I watched the video, I watched the five or six minute clip that I don't get a sense of genuine interest or curiosity, no, rather a desire to trap and, and then to justify himself and to, to justify his negative judgment of the Calvinist. And I think at the end, he's like, I don't even know how you sleep at night, man. Okay, that guy felt that way before they even had the interview. Yeah, I would act. Yeah, so this is a great point, Rob. I would ask the guy first and foremost. Well, why do you want to know? Exactly. Yeah. What's your motivation here? Like, why? Like, have you read the Bible? Like, I would ask. I would start way more generally. Like, I would say, Have you ever read the Bible? Like, can you tell me what the gospel is? Can you ask the atheist guy or whatever? Say, Can you tell me? Can you articulate what you understand the gospel message to be? Uh, have you read the Gospels? Have you, are there any, from your worldview, are there any, is there anything you like about Jesus that you read, yeah. you know, the Jesus picture? Is there anything you like? And then I'd say, well, why? Why do you like that? You know, what don't you like? I mean, let the guy open up, you know, and share. Instead, he's all, he's totally guarded off. And everything he says is like, well, I don't believe that. Well, then, da -da 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 -da. I mean, he's like, so Everything think, he says is in a, a half a second articulation, already pre, pre thought you know, out, pre packaged. Yeah, I think that uh, 
the the person who sent this to us wants us to respond to the to the Calvinistic uh, leanings of our brother on the right here. Let's keep going with the video, and we'll just let it play for a few minutes, and then or for a few seconds, and then uh, we'll stop it, and and we'll leave it there, and then we'll respond. Got you have to be regenerated. How so do I, how do I get regenerated? Mistake. That Spirit. was a mistake. How it's do a, I get the Holy Spirit to regenerate me? You don't. The mistake again. You're right. Yeah. You gave the right yeah. answer. <laughs> Well, I was going to lie to you and say all the. Yeah. See, see, I, I just see that our brother now he's giving the answers that he, that he knows in terms of theology, which is okay. If I'm a Calvinist, then, then I walk down this path and this path is that God has preordained all things. Now I, I think it's been clear that I, I take a very, uh, I, I'm not a double predestinationist. It, it, well, I shouldn't say that. I, what I am is I don't believe that God has has created or preordained sin. I think that God works around our sin and that God does preordain things, but that uh, the sin is not the thing that he preordains. Now, that is a different view than many Calvinists. And I would say that your unbelief... So let's go to Romans real quick. Romans uh, 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who are by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So the question that I would have is, 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 is suppression of truth sin? And I think in this instance, not maybe not all the time, but I think in this instance, the answer is yes. So it is, to me, it's the guy, on the, the Pine Creek gentleman, the, the atheist, he, is, he has suppressed the truth. You know, Romans tells us that uh, we have no excuse. We look out the window, we see the, the stars, we see the, the trees, the grass, there is a God. So if we're, if we're saying there isn't a God, we're suppressing the truth. So to me, it's not, to me, it's not a good place to start to say, well, you have to be regenerated and only God can regenerate you. While I might believe that in, and I might uh, get there with a Christian brother down the road in terms of a theological discussion, if we're really trying to get to the minutia of how how God knows all things and how God works and how God preordains things, that's fine. But when the scripture talks about a person coming to faith, it says, repent and turn. And this is what our brother said. He started that way. And this is where I would have landed. I would have stayed right there. If he says, well, doesn't God regenerate me? I would say, well, it is, it, you know, you are responsible for your sin. You're the one who sins. Well, God has not just, preordained your sin. I would just ask sin. the guy, I would say, do you want to be saved? Right. And the answer obviously is no. Do you, do you want the Holy Spirit? Do you love the God of Israel? Do you love the God of the Bible? Right. I mean, you could just ask that if he says no. Okay. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. like, like, do do you love Yeshua? I mean, just it's simple questions that, that the guy could have asked. And I think what happened was it's not that that brother didn't, have those in his kind of as a possibility to engage. I think, I think he didn't know, I don't know, the, uh, the intensity of the hostility that, or maybe he did, but he agreed to it anyway. Okay. That's that, true. That's true. That's on him, I guess. Yeah. So to, to, to me, to me, one of the things that I, I would just I say, been, do you, do you, lo do you love the God of the Bible? Well, first you say, you know, have you read the Bible? Like, can you, can you tell me what the gospel is basically? And if, and if he gets that, say, well, do, do you, do you love Yeshua? Like, do you, you know, uh, do you confess that he is the king, that he is the coming king and judge of all creation? 
No, I don't believe that. Well, okay, what else are we going to talk about then? You know? Right. To, to, to me, I've been criticized uh, pretty heavily by, by multiple people for not wanting to do debates. And I've, I've, you know, I, I've considered a couple, but one of the reasons why is because especially guys who are really good at debate, the, you know, they're training, they sit down, they train for these debates. They, they study their opponent. They, they know what's coming. They, they've studied these moves. They have books. I mean, look at, look at masters of the craft, like James White. Now I don't agree with James White. And I think that even some of his debate tactics are, are pretty, uh, uh, unsportsmanlike, but at the same time, that dude can debate. I mean, I would never step into the ring with with James White. That would be like me stepping into the ring with Mike Tyson. I'm going to get totally pummeled. And I feel like this guy, Pine Creek, is the same way. He's just on the atheist side of, uh, of things. In other words, he's, the, he's like the Mike Tyson of, you know, he's one of the Mike Tysons of the atheist debate world. And if, and if I was going to have somebody go in against him, I would have somebody like, James White going against him or some, you know, someone else. And actually, even that probably wouldn't be the uh, greatest of, of pairs because James White is going to take this uh, hyper Calvinistic view of everything. Every single thing is predestined. So, and I know that I'm probably the odd man out for that, but the, the point here is simply that I, I, I don't know how to reconcile the fact that God is in control of all things and preordains things, yet is not the author of sin and does not predestine sin. I, I, I'm fine living with that tension. However, many of the people who I talk to are not fine with me living in that tension. They want it to be smoothed out. And okay, that's fine. Okay, um, fun times. We're going to go here. I appreciate here the, very the, short. whoever sent us the video. I mean, I, I'm glad to know that guy ex exists i mean it it sucks <laughs> i mean it's like man it's like really like there's a market for this and you're profiting off this kind of uh this hostile mental like intellectual kind of trapping or something um and and here's the thing you know lord willing if this guy comes to faith He's going to yeah. have to, he's going to have to repent of this attitude that has been broadcast. You know, it's like, he, it, you it, know, it always, I mean, it reminds it me always, of the apostle Paul, like having to repent. I was like, Oh man, I was holding the clothes while they were stoning Stephen. You know what I mean? Like, right. Right. Like, like it says in Galatians, like he says, the one who would preached against the uh, now preaches the faith that he once tried to destroy, you know, so who knows, maybe God could, you know, convert this guy. And then like all right. the people that followed him would like then receive the, the message too. So, okay. Let's, that, uh, oh, wait, one thing. I like that that guy, uh, the brother said that he's like, look, man, you could be saved in 20 years. <laughs> right. I thought that was awesome. I'm like, right on, man. Like right. he didn't go that, well, you're going to hell, you know, he, he he's like, look, I don't know what God's going to do. Right. Yeah. Oh, that, that wasn't, please uh, don't misunderstand. That wasn't to down the brother. No, right. You know, I, 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 I mean, I, to be honest with you, when I get into uh, live situations like that, where the things are just flying at me, this is one of the reasons I don't, I don't agree to debates is because I'm not good. Like I'm not good on the cuff uh, when people are, are 
you know, throwing things at me like that. So I can't say that I would have done any better. What I have the benefit of doing is sitting down, listening to the video, thinking for a few minutes of, hmm, that's an interesting line that, that uh, the atheist went through. How would, I, how would I rightly respond to that? Now, the, we could ask the question, how would I respond to that in the, in the heat of the moment? I'd pro- I don't know. I don't know. But being able to sit down and listen and, and think through it, it's like, okay, I see some missteps here. But I, I usually don't think of the missteps in the heat of the moment. Okay, Dale wrote in, he says this, what does it mean? Many are called, few are chosen. That's his whole comment, Matthew twenty two fourteen. We're on the Calvinistic uh, bent here. Why not just go into it? So I believe that, uh, it, well, let's just read the context. We'll read uh, Matthew 22, 11 through 14. But when the king came, he's in the middle of a parable, by the way, at this point. He says, uh, but when the king came into the inn to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had, had no wedding garment, And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. So I've always understood this as, uh, from a Calvinistic perspective, When I say Calvinistic, which is that God calls all people to repentance. He has told every person, repent and turn. He's done that through his word. He's done that through his prophets. He's done that uh, just just in the nature alone that we realize that there's a higher being that we must bow the knee to. So repent and turn is the general call. And we are called to repent, but few are chosen. In other words, few are chosen by God to be uh, covenant members. That's how I've understood it. Now, I know that our chat room will probably explode on this one. Um, and there are many people who are going to disagree with, with me on this. But I would point to Isaac, right? Isaac has chosen to carry the covenant on. Um, he's not just called to carry the covenant on. He is told he will carry the covenant on. Rob? Yeah, the the uh, it's Matthew 22. Is that right? 22, 14. The- yeah, the parable of the of the wedding feast, and that's I believe that's only in Matthew. There are some of it parallels with other uh, parables, but that's unique in a few few uh, aspects. Um, I see it also as a, a a parable that Yeshua composed to to capture the same point he makes elsewhere in the Gospel of Matthew a couple times actually. He makes it early in the Gospel of Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, I think it's in chapter seven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do this? In other words, they think they belong. There's people who have have, uh, somehow acquired some of the social network connections with genuine believers and they, but they're, but they don't really have a heart for God. But they've benefited socially and culturally from the work that the believers are doing, and they they think that they're part of it. And then Yeshua's like, "No, I never knew you, you workers of iniquity." And another example is the the parable of the virgins that comes right. after. You know, I think it's is that in chapter twenty four or twenty five, maybe is. Uh, you know, you have the foolish virgins come when it's too late and they're knocking on the door, let us in. And he's like, I never knew you. So we have to understand that the guy who's part of the celebration, but he's not wearing the garment is of the same caliber as those others that 
somehow they have a social, their own concept is that they're connected. And in that connection, they feel that they themselves uh, are somehow uh, in good order or they're in a good position, but it is of the flesh. It's not a regenerated heart. And, and that's why he doesn't belong. And the garment represents, we could say it represents being in Messiah legitimately, right. you know, being born from above, being, being righteous by his, what he has done. Not coming in and saying, oh, I'm righteous because I'm connected with others. And this is, you get this in messianic synagogues, you get this in Christian churches, the people who go and they benefit socially, they benefit from the networking and then there's, and they benefit from, there's like a positive kind of vibe, right? Of, yeah, good, of goodness. And like, and they, they get recharged from that in some regard. And then they think, but, but because they don't really understand the call to repentance, they don't have a genuine uh, repentance and a, they don't have a genuine concept of forgiveness then either, which means they don't have a real picture of God. They don't have an actual, actual picture of God that he is a God of wrath as much as he is a God of holiness and that sin matters. Sin is part of truth. It needs to be confessed. Uh, and then we know God as, as, as the forgiving God that he is, but the people that are just benefiting socially from social Christianity or social messianic Judaism or whatever. And they, you know, I see this, you know, people that keep the feasts and all this kind of stuff, you know, and, and externally, but you have to wonder, you know, some, some of the people are these who say, who, who have a false concept. Right. Yeah. Good. They stuff. haven't really been convicted of, of their depravity of their soul. And, and I think in some cases, those are the people that aren't going to imagine themselves as uh, being subject to God, like that God would never just uh, be, you know, determine someone to go to hell. That's a whole, you know, they have judgments about God. Right. Um, God would never do that. That would be unjust. And kind of like this, back to this, this guy, whatever he was called, Pine Tree or whatever. Pine the Creek. Guy, the, Pine Creek. Oh, yeah. Like, like he's almost mocking the God of the Bible. Oh, absolutely. I think that's and it, and, definitely. And, and it, it's almost like he's taking pleasure in mocking the God of the Bible. Um, of course he, he doesn't is. understand the God of the Bible. He's going with a thumbnail, a blurry thumbnail sketch uh, that he's uh, getting some sort of street cred by poking at. Okay, 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. You can also shoot us an email, chegg at torresource.com, C-H-E-G-G at torresource.com. We'll be back next week. And we hope that this conversation has done at least one thing, and that is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? You know why. Because Messiah matters. Why?